the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see you bite. Let me see your scar. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple, we're the third or fourth most mediocre Husky podcast on the internet. I normally say football podcast, but we're branching out for uh, one of the few times that we have. Uh, of course, Gaby Lucas is here, but we also have somebody, uh, as, as is very rarely the case, even more interesting than Gaby, perhaps a three-time Pac-10 All-Star, a Pac-12 champion, a Pac-12 coach of the year, a national champion, probably the most decorated person who's ever deigned to speak to us. Coach Heather Tarr from the UW softball team. Coach Tarr, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me and including UW softball in your uh, in your repertoire. Yeah, the feeling is very mutual. Um, Gaby, you are promote UW softball. Uh, you, I know that you are probably a super fan, uh, whereas the rest of us can only consider ourselves fans. I'm going to let you uh, start the conversation with Coach Tarr. I'm going to jump in here and there, but please. Let's dive in and talk about the season as we get close to the finish line and into the tournament. Sure. I mean, I think calling me a super fan of anything denotes a certain level of, uh, I don't know, I think I might be a little bit too existential for that, but like, yeah, close enough. Um, But to start out with, though, actually, I do have to say this actually, Coach, isn't actually the first time we've met. It's just the first time we've met in like 13 years. Yes. Um, uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Cause like I was just like a whole now multiple generations of girls, honestly, who like were always at those camps and like doing the con- concession stands, which for the record, I will still crave like a UW softball concession stand hot dog. Like once every, every year I'm like, I need, I need, <laughs> and I don't know why it wasn't like that good. <laughs> just a hot dog. But um. I, I think now that you've, I mean, you've been at this gig now for like a while. Um, and I think seeing the evolution of, of the program and the teams, there's the kind of these things that I take back from my childhood that I feel like I see kind of in place now. And one of them is, I remember very vividly at like all those camps and stuff that the players who were teaching it and all that had very different personalities and when you're a kid I feel like you're used to the sports the people who are like really dominant in the locker room are like these really confident kind of loud personalities and I feel like I at the time and now still I really appreciated that like for example I remember this is a throwback but like Marnie Kojil I remember her being a really good teacher and pretty quiet and not like that kind of stereotype and I feel like you see that now still where for example Gabby Plain like one of the things that's made her such a I I don't want to be like crazy but like I feel like she's a pretty beloved figure in this community and I feel like part of it is like having not that stereotypical personality I mean I don't know from the outside looking in um it's funny watching someone destroy somebody else on national tv and just like be like Um, but I just, I bring all that up because I'm wondering kind of when you approach building a program and and building a a roster and guiding that is, but is there a way that you maybe 
guide a program and and guide players that naturally I suppose just how do you get people to be comfortable in the, in these scenarios that are where like the spotlight is kind of on them and it's kind of I can't could I imagine could be kind of hard to like be yourself even though that is necessary for being like a really good player so I'll let you answer that after I just talked for a hundred hours. <laughs> yeah, I think what like one of the things we pride ourselves in is actually like connecting with the community. And of course, like I'm a Washingtonian. I was born and raised in Redmond, Washington. I was a walk-on here for the second team ever of the UW softball program. And I would love to have all Washingtonians on our team, but that's unrealistic at right at this point. But um Having the depth of types of personalities that fit our program is important to us. I mean, we don't go seeking like a complete extreme, but I think we definitely don't, you know, like pigeonhole people into who they need to be, but we have a way about how we do things around here. So it's a broad range of types that can fit. Um, for example, like somebody like Gabby Plain and um, a couple of years ago, you remember Taryn Alvello, one mm -hmm. of our dominant pitchers. I mean, they had completely polar opposite personality types, um, behavior styles. Um, Taryn's way more like dominant and like direct and Gabby's a lot more just go with the flow. And so as a coach, what interests me too is um, meeting your learners and your people where they're at. And so I personally don't feel like I need like a certain style to have to coach. Um, so, uh, you know, the end product for us, our why is, you know, trying to become the most durable and competitive versions of ourselves through the sport. But also what is um, important to us is that we inspire the future. And if ever at all, Marnie Koziel was <laughs> a piece of in inspiration for someone like yourself to be, become great in what you want to do. Like we've, we've like reached, you know, a small goal course 13 yeah. years later but that part's <laughs> important to us too so that that means a lot to me that you you mentioned that story from many yeah. years ago yeah I will I mean that's part of it is like honestly obviously I'm like all right let's talk to you about whatever but part of it is I'm just like I feel like we so if you don't get an, enough thank yous from the community I hope that people do tell you thank you frequently for a b I mean pardon my French kicking ass pretty consistently and also representing UW and Washington in general well and I think part of that is you know like what you said that whole hundreds and hundreds probably thousands of kids who went there I remember again after doing the concession stand once like uh, I think I was like I don't know after something cleaning up garbage I don't know and like Kayla Noble found me and like was like here's a card from the team and like I know I'm not the only like I know that's happened for a bunch of kids and so that's I don't know I think that's a under I hope people vocally appreciate that to you because <laughs> I, I know sometimes it's easy to get caught up in day-to-day -day stuff and all that so I hope you don't <laughs> yeah no thank um, you it's it's cool you know the um a mentor of mine his name's Bruce Brown he owns a company called proactivecoaching.info and He's um, one of the greatest people I've known in coaching. And one of the things he says is, you know, on occasion, many, many years later, you're going to get like coaching paychecks. And 
I think those are, you know, the, the money that I'm not talking about the money. I'm just talking about like stories like this, mm-hmm. you know, the national championships and the conference championships and wins are, they're great. You seek those, you pursue those, but you know, the way to get those is through little acts that make a big difference. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Is, you, you talked about the, the approach to team building, the philosophy about building out, uh, you know, a team, a structure, but also individuals where you can have different attitudes, different mindsets, different approaches, which, I, I you know, it resonates with what you know, my day job and hearing about like trying to build uh, diverse groups of leaders that aren't all coming from the same background. And I think that's interesting, but I'm also curious about how that's changed if at all, over the last couple of years, when you've obviously dealt with things that have never occurred in any sort of sporting world before going through and continuing to go through COVID and dealing with a lot of changes to uh, college eligibility and athlete eligibility. I'm sure it looks very, very different in your day-to-day than it would for a basketball coach or football coach, but I'd be very curious to hear how things have changed from a program building standpoint over the last couple of years. Yeah, I, that's a really good question because the times are not the same. And Coach Peterson, Chris Peterson, has been a really big like piece to the last couple of years of our head coaches' um, development here at Washington. And he's been just very like helpful in in helping us all grow as coaches. You know, maybe giving back some things that maybe he wish he would have had, or like just take a breath, slow down, those kind of things. But um, he has a he has a pretty cool thing that he's been sharing out lately. I, I wish I could like share the YouTube <laughs> actual example with you, but if I can find it, I'll, I'll share it with you guys. But one of the things that um, he shared with me the other day is this, this uh, website or not love website, but this YouTube called leader leading out of crisis. And I don't know, I can't remember the guy's name. His name's like Craig Gracial or something like that. And it was about a 20 minute, sermon almost on YouTube that explained how you as a leader you can't lead people like you used to lead them like it's just not going to be effective and so if you can get into that just in your own way it can kind of just give you like some like solidification of what you're actually probably feeling in today's times but I definitely think you know just going back to how I was raised by my parents and how I was coached, um, just with just basic human values about being there for people um, and not being there for yourself. We try to find people that are on our coaching staff that have those values. Um, We try to have people that value that within, you know, their own family units in the recruiting process, people that can understand, like, I want to be a part of something that's bigger than me. And you can't always identify that, but I think you can kind of sniff it out in people. Um, you can definitely tell maybe some signs and warning signs of people who that doesn't, you know, doesn't click for. So I think one of the biggest things we do look for in recruiting and all of that is people that are able to be part of a bigger, a bigger scene. Um, but it's hard because, you know, you want people to be able to be kind of alpha in their own experience and be able to perform and be able to like own the experience and not be afraid to stand out in front of everybody. So it's kind of a fine line between that. I mean, you think of a Danielle Laurie, she probably, you know, is one of the most like greatest performers uh, that we've ever had. 
Um, and it takes a lot of being about you. But in the end, when those people can really bring others along with them and understand like deep down, it's about, you know, how the team's doing, you have a chance to do some pretty special things. Yeah. I like that you mentioned that because when she talked, when we had her on um, pre-Olympics, she talked a lot about how different her mindset is now versus, I mean, 2008 or when she came in as a freshman, just when she, just her time at UW versus the Olympics in 2008 versus the Olympics now and all that in between time and all that. And like, A, that's a roller coaster that I know I and probably 99.9% of people like <laughs> are not tough enough to do. Um, but I think what you're saying is really interesting and kind of meshes well with that because A, she has talked, talked a lot about how she became or has become a much more, um, not that she was a selfish player, but maybe more just focused inward, which makes sense because you're a pitcher, A, you're really good and you're really young <laughs> and those tend to do that. But I am, I, I am wondering though also, because now, now that we kind of brought that up, that back to pitching, obviously she is like the greatest and Gabby Plain, I feel like is the first person to come along and be mentioned in the same breath, which is a lot. <laughs> and, but you look at them and they're kind of back to the whole personality thing, at least from on the outside looking in, like they seem like they couldn't be more different, like at all, both in skill set um, and persona and like everything. What is it like about that kind of players like that, that are both so good, but so different seemingly? what do they have in common that makes them, is, is there a unifying factor or, or they just yeah, have there to, is. to be good? <laughs> yep. It's yeah. Yeah. What, what you're, I think what you see in the form that a performer mm -hmm. ends up being able to do is be able to take the game one pitch at a time. And that's what makes them great. Their ability to lock in their ability to have some form of like a repeatable process, um, maybe unrelated to the physicality of, of it, but um, just really being able to be mentally tough enough to get to the next pitch. And that's probably the, the tie that binds between Gabby and Danielle. I think it's a challenge in the collegiate scene. You know, you've got people ages 18 to 22 because their brains are still forming their, you know, abilities to just to be more mature is still forming. And so to look at a Danielle at 35 years old competing for a bronze medal and, you know, someone like Gabby, who's 22, 23 years old, trying to, you know, make the Australian team and, you know, trying to help us win a national championship, you know, their processes are very, they're very like similar, but their personalities don't have anything to do with the process. So I think, um, it's really cool to see high level performers and pitchers specifically that can reach the elite level and they don't have to have any sort of the same like physical skill sets. Yeah. Um, I love that you say that because I feel like, and this kind of ties back to you talking about how you lead leading now versus leading, you know, 30 years ago or whatever, because I feel like there used to be this sense and there still is in some circles that like a competitor or whatever looks like this and acts like this when in reality like what you say like the personalities and like personalities and competitive and, and, and competitiveness or toughness or whatever like those are 
they run parallel, but they're not the same thing. And actually, I kind of want to go back now that you mentioned the Olympics um, with, with Gabby and, and Danielle both being there. And now that you, congratulations, by the way, for being named <laughs> head coach of Team USA. When, when Andrew uh, forgot to mention that at the beginning, I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Um, but Good what point. is it? What's that? <laughs> Good point. I will own yeah. that. Oh, yeah, that's it. a pretty yeah. big thing. Um, I mean, and, and this actually, so coaching against former players, uh, I mean, obviously you did a lot of that at the Olympics, but then I also kind of had a brain blast even before that in the postseason uh, regionals against Seattle U where I'm like, Hey, that looks like, that looks like coach Uri, who I remember from when I was like 11. And then I'm like, Hey, that is coach Uri. And then, and then a couple innings later, I'm like, wow, that gal is talking to the pitcher. looks a lot like Caitlin Noble. And then a couple innings later, I look it up and I'm like, that is Caitlin Noble. Um, so I feel like the last year you've had a lot of coaching against former players or people who you've coached with. Um, is that how, how does that feel like, what, what is that like? Cause that's such a bizarre scenario to, to find yourself yeah. in, I feel like. Well, our inner circle becomes pretty tight. So how we, you know, trust each other within the inner circle while we're a unit in whatever season that is, is like a pretty like sacred thing. So when you take your own inner circles, USA, let's say to the other, you know, pieces of your inner circle, it's like a, it's a win-win, but a lose-lose because you're, I mean, at the end of the day, you just got to go compete. Um, so it's taught me a lot competing against either former players that are coaching, um, former coaches that are coaching. Uh, it's not about me. Like I can't win the game. It's <laughs> not, I can't like defend them against the things that I think they might know or whatever. It's just the players get to go compete and how well the players can compete is what's going to make, you know, make the results. So um, it's kind of like in those moments, I just have to remember just kind of almost like sit back and let the process take care of the results because you can't necessarily play who you're playing. You just have to play the game and be in the moment. So it's been a cool thing to watch our former coaches and players get out into the world and make their own differences and maybe be able to kind of point their lineage back to to us and then through me back to whoever you know I've been through as as a player and a coach was there ever any time when you were like first base coach during the Olympics because I remember like Jen Salling was at first base and then I, I tried to get a screenshot where like Ali Aguilar was on first base and she was and then <laughs> Jen yeah. was playing first base did you guys like I feel like you had to have had like a little tea party out there or something yeah talk it's just like in that moment, I mean, the, this Olympics was, um, my first, so I, I don't really know anything different, but you know, there've been, there's been moments like that where we've been against each other. Um, but it was a weird quiet space. Cause there were no fans at this Olympic game. So it was really kind of like, almost felt like a scrimmage or a practice mm -hmm. in a good way. So like, it wasn't like we were making it bigger than it was. Um, we definitely weren't, you know, all chummy, <laughs> I would say. Um, it, but it was, yeah, it was just kind of a thing that had to take place. It, it was not, you know, my favorite thing to have to do, but looking back on it, I mean, we had five women in those Olympic games. So it's like at some point in time, somebody was going to break someone's heart. And <laughs> for the U S we were just obviously hopeful that 
we were going to be the ones <laughs> breaking the hearts, not us yeah. being heartbroken. Oh man, that just reminds me that because you guys beat Canada, right? It was like three, mm -hmm. two or something. And then like just barely, I remember that being a really good game. And then I remember the, I think it was Canada versus Japan was the one that knocked them out of uh, gold medal contention. And I, I, for some reason I couldn't watch that, but I came back, saw the score and my, and then seeing what happened that it, that it was like a, a home run or whatever against Danielle. My first thought was like, complete heartbreak for her and for everyone and then my second thought especially after having heard her talk about all that whole thing before the olympics my my second thought immediately after was like oh god the next team they face is screwed like they're winning bronze like she's not gonna not <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but um i actually do kind of want to talk also though more a bit about like rosters stuff you know player stuff um because one thing that I think is interesting is if you look at like um, a roster for UW softball, like 15 years ago or whatever, it was like definitely dominated by Washington and California. And then every once in a while, someone from BC or like Oregon, Arizona, whatever. Um, and versus now, like, it's still like, you can still tell the backbone is still Washington and California, but you know, you have players from Georgia and uh, Missouri and like, uh, Indiana and what Nebraska coming in next year, whatever. Oh, and Australia. Um, um, is, is that like, it, it, I mean, a, I imagine that like social media and everything makes that a lot easier for them to like commit to that. Um, but also from your standpoint of expanding your recruiting footprint, is that something that kind of came about because of you being involved with team USA or, or maybe like giving you that, those resources, not like just, just naturally. Um, or is it just incidental? I think it's not, it's definitely not like intentional. Um, yeah. but I think there's a lot of credit that goes to national television and our program being showcased on it for, yeah, for a lot too. of, a lot of opportunities. So of course, being in the last game played in Oklahoma city, um, in 2018 was super, you know, helpful and influential to softball players around the country, around the world. So that's, you know, big, a big piece. Um, and then just having relationships with, um, club coaches, high school coaches from around the country, you know, other national team coaches, a lot of that is, you know, is definitely helpful. You never want to turn down, you know, somebody's suggestion that they think they might have a player that might be interested in, in you based on their geography. Um, I was a geography major at UW. Um, so I definitely know places and where they are. So that might help me just relate to people and, you know, just make connections to, to other people. But we're just trying to look for the most, you know, competitive correct fits for our program um and people that really want to develop and become like the best softball players that they can become sorry about my cat right no now. oh my gosh we need more cats on this I, I, recurring, I, recurring guests of gaby's cats he's, yeah he's, like spazzing out right now so <laughs> if, he, if he breaks through the monitor um i'll resume you i'll come back to the zoom oh i think that needs to be included 100 percent in the final cut <laughs> um, but uh meanwhile cats notwithstanding well actually i'm also wondering sorry one last question about about that because i i feel like in the past um and i could be wrong but the softball demographics was more 
concentrated like kind of west of the west western United States in I think it was what was it like Michigan who was the first team from east of the Mississippi or whatever to win a national championship do you have you noticed that is that that there is a growth of the sport um east that there that there wasn't you say 20 years ago or whatever yeah I think you follow you kind of follow a little bit of baseball and where the hotbeds may be in in the United States and you know clearly like warmer weather places like Florida, Georgia, um, Texas, all of that. But I think, you know, there's been some like Taryn Alvello being from Ohio. I mean, we reached like time zone that was pretty big for us, um, you know, and, and Kelly Lynch and Lily Egan coming from Georgia. It was just more so like finding the right fits. And you yeah. guys probably know this, if you can get someone to visit Seattle and see how beautiful it is and see how different it actually is and progressive it is. I think like, it's very intriguing for, for young women. Um, mm -hmm. And I would just like to probably think that our gals, how they compete is an attractive way of, of playing. Um, not necessarily, it's not a look, it's just how hard we compete for each other. And I think that's something that, you know, fortunately for us, it continues to, to find other people. But once you get in the door, you become, you know, the one that creates that for someone else, like, you know, get here. And it's like this magical thing that you just absorb, like the people create it. It's not something that happens just because you're here. So that's kind of a fun thing to go through with the younger cultures and the younger people in our programs that are trying to get back to the world series. It's not like, you know, they go through troubles and they have ups and downs and we have, you know, team issues and all that kind of stuff. And it, you know, just, they resolve them themselves through the team in ways that they kind of always resolve themselves it's you know we can help guide it and we can help you know make these great teams but it's the players themselves that really create that magic and I think it's an attractive it's just an attractive thing when you can see a team that has chemistry and figures out how to become the best version of itself by the time you get to have those national tv opportunities well, we're talking about teams growing into having a national presence. We're, we're getting to the point of the season where that opportunity hopefully will present itself for this year's team. I, I'd just be interested in hearing a little bit about the trajectory of the season itself. Obviously, there was a little bit of a, a dip in the middle of the season, a five-game losing streak, which I think was a, you know, pretty surprising to everybody. I'd love to hear about if there was a moment or a conversation or you know something one of the players said or did that kind of helped get things back on track, or was it just something that everybody was confident in, knowing their their own ability and the resume they put together to that point? It, nothing even needed to be said because obviously, you know, I think winning streaks back up to eleven in a row now. They certainly came through uh, the the little bit of a losing streak to come out stronger on the other side. Yeah, I mean, every season has its own story, and there's been crazy seasons where, um, you know, for example, in the 09 National Championship year, I think we went down to UCLA and we got one hit in two games, and we could not uh, hit this gal named Megan Langenfeld. And then in the old Pac-10 season, we used, we used to play people like in the beginning and then in the end, kind of like the basketballs get to, and um, we got a chance to face that pitcher again, and we found a way to get better, and um, for us, like some of the new Pac-12 three-game series, sometimes if if you're kind of on a on a streak, things are going good, you're great. But if you're not going good, then 
like all of a sudden you could be playing well, you could actually be learning lessons and getting better, but you maybe not get the results. So um, I kind of go back to a conversation I had with coach Peterson. Uh, he called me probably on our fifth game we lost in a row. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about calling him too, but he got to me first and he just told me like, Hey, look, like, I know what you're going through. Just keep smiling and try not to be the angry farmer. And I'm like, what? He's <laughs> like, your team's young. They're going to grow. They're going to figure out like, you know how to do this, uh, but you can't get mad at your crops. Like an angry farmer would just stand there and just be all disgruntled and like yelling at the <laughs> crops. Like they're going to grow. They're, they're growing. And he like gave me the confidence to know that like we might've lost three games in a row to UCLA, but we might've actually gotten better through that. So don't let like the results define how good you're getting. So speaking to the trajectory, you know, like our pre-conference run of tournaments we'll usually play six road tournaments um if we're lucky we have one home um tournament that we get to play prior to opening up pac 12 but this year we were on the road for six weeks and that's a challenge you know we went from puerto vallarta i know hard times but <laughs> puerto vallarta played arkansas twice um, we were able to beat them twice and then we went uh, we came back to seattle and then two days later we were on a plane to clearwater playing on those national tv events so we kind of went through the ringer at the beginning and then you know i don't i can't like attribute anything to you know why this or why that but teams have different like different times and different trajectories but you know our goal and our mission is to win the last game played in oklahoma city and i think this team has a chance to do that but sometimes you have to go through these like windy paths to get there and you got to keep your head above water and keep the perspective because you can make it miserable on yourselves too and you know, I think that's one of the other things about like leading through a crisis or leading during these times is it's just a game. And I think I've always maintained that even before like the pandemic. And I think that's the perspective that we always, you know, try to see things with is like, we're going to have fun, but not at the expense of like trying to win games. Um, and we're going to win games, but not at the expense of trying to have fun. Like it's literally just a game. And although we get paid to do this and gals come here for scholarships and now NIL opportunities and all these things. Like it's literally just a game. It's not that serious. I, I do love the, there's like this paradoxical relationship between like elite athletes hit this point where they get to a certain level because they're so competitive and they take it all so seriously. But then that almost turns into like a dampening effect where I mean, like you saw with, for example, with the Mariners, with like Jared Kelnick, where he's a superstar and then he gets up and he's like failing, of course, because that's what happens to grow. And I feel like that makes sense then that your team, you know, for years and years and years has been able to like reach a certain level and not, you know, not skid to a point of letting those kind of get out of control, because I think keeping it in perspective is not only helpful, but a necessity to a stop you from going insane and to like continue performing better and getting better um but also speaking of that kind of that season trajectory one thing that for me it, it looks like this team offensively the improvements that they have made in some ways over say like last year or the year before i feel like if it seems to me like the the what you would could call like the supporting cast kind of 
um, especially once this winning streak started and they kind of came out of that, uh, you know, not great part in the middle of the season. It, it, it looks like that, that kind of group of players um, like Maddie Husky and Jade Alchin, who maybe aren't like the superstars who everyone knows, but like that kind of group, I feel like turned it on and has like really been quite productive and giving it, giving the team offensively like depth that maybe uh, like last season or, or for a little bit ago, like wasn't necessarily not, not there, but it wasn't maybe as consistent. Do you think that's mm-hmm. accurate or do mm-hmm. am I full of it? <laughs> yeah. I think anytime like your six, seven, eight, nine can produce, you have the chance to be like a championship type team. Cause you know, like Bailey Klingler and Sammy Reynolds are, you know, very capable average wise of doing what um, they've proven to be able to do from a batting average standpoint, but like the emergence of Maddie Husky and Jadlyn Alchin coming, you know, kind of getting back, getting back to what she's able to do and even better than before is really, you know, really important to our team's success. But I think what what finds that and what allows your team to find that offensive chemistry is the stability on the defensive side with the pitching. And I think, you know, sometimes you get super concerned as a coach or, you know, with our own and our own teams about like scoring runs, scoring runs, you want to score runs, but like, okay, that's great. You can score runs, but if you don't have a consistent, like shutdown, like defense, you can score all you want. I mean, we've seen it on other sports, like in the Washington, like, you know, footprint, whether it be basketball or what have you, like, you can just keep scoring, scoring, scoring. But if you let the other team continue to score, 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 you could win the game nine to seven. And really you only won the game two to nothing. Like, so I think offense has a lot to do with chemistry and like trust. Um, Yes. It's like hitting good pitches and being present and making adjustments and those kind of things. But I think in baseball and in softball, like offense is chemistry. Like it's a true, like magnifying glass into like, how well is your team gelling? And to let, you know, like to let you guys know, you go back to the stats and like, we were a little bit unstable on like the pitching and the defensive side, we're still forming and we were trying to still hit. And then you couldn't out hit the, the pitching, but then we'd, do you know okay with the pitching and the defense but then we'd lose the hitting and so that's kind of like how teams form and teams work and I think just your aim is to have your team peaking and you know playing its best when your best is needed that's always our goal do, do you think also that 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 maybe like when the team's pitching and defense is rolling that it kind of takes away that pressure offensively which kind of goes back to what you're saying about it's just a game where if you don't feel necessarily that pressure of it being like two outs, three and two or whatever, even when it's no outs and you're fine. <laughs> um, do you think that allows them to maybe loosen up and, and hit more consistently too? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's kind of a fine line, like kind of look back at some of our um, past teams and, you know, we've been super strong in the pitching and then sometimes you rely on that too much. Yeah. And then, you know, you're kind of too reliant on that. And then you get to the point where, you're like looking for one run. And so I think what you're seeing and saying, and I, I'm happy that someone like you, like kind of is keen to this, but like, I think we're a deeper offense than we've, we've been. And I think we're a more repeatable offense in that we like, we're very um, dynamic. We have speed. We can play the short game. We can, you know, put the game in motion. We can hit the ball over the fence, which is the most efficient way to score runs, of (laughs) course. But, um, you know, we kind of have a nice balance between the pitching, the defense, 
and the offense. And it's not, you know, just one pitching arm. It's not just one bat. It's, you know, it's a little bit of everything. So I'm proud of what our team's been able to accomplish to this point. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited because we, we do have a lot of younger players like Riley Holtor for third baseman from Arizona, Kinsey Fiedler from Lee Summit, Missouri. She's, you know, there's some pretty special characters in this group, Olivia Johnson. And you look at the maturity between Olivia Johnson and Maddie Husky, you know, Maddie has gone through so many things that Olivia Johnson or Joe hasn't like even scratched the surface of. So kind of to the point of the angry farmer, you just, like, you can't force growth. Like you have to let the growth happen and sprinkle it with the right stuff and trust that you're in good soil and you have good light and things are going to happen at their own maturity rate. I, I like that you bring up Mojo because like, I know coming into this season that like people knew of the freshmen and like, but I think Kinsey Fiedler was kind of the one who people like, if, if people knew, knew it was like, they knew of her and then, but Ojo became such a meme at the beginning of the season, like Husky Twitter was going nuts. And granted, I was, I was bored and I was making a lot of dumb, like really stupid little Ojo related memes. But yeah. um, it, well, I mean, I just saw that home run today and it, that is that, I mean, that's one, that's a very pretty swing. Uh, I just have to say that <laughs> we did you guys coming into this season know like that? I mean, obviously you don't know anyone's going to have a 15 at bat hit streak, but did you have any inkling of, of that kind of coming? It's interesting. Like, you know, sometimes maybe we don't get the, the, you know, there's like, let's say there's top three or four players on a travel ball team. Of course, they're the best player in their high school team, probably likely. But sometimes maybe we'll get like the third one or the fourth player. And sometimes like those players in our program, like I go back to a Morgan Flores who career wise, she hit a lot of home runs for us. She hit a lot. She had a lot of RBI. She hit in the middle of our order, but on her travel ball team, she was like this in the six hole. She was in the seven hole. Sometimes she was the backup catcher. I mean, she was on such a good team that when she came to our team, actually being like, the everyday player or having the success like Ojo did in that first week, they're kind of like intimidated by it. So they get all these mentions and they're like, Oh my God, like, you know, so handling that success is actually sometimes for players like maybe an Ojo is more challenging than handling failure. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of an interesting uh, thing to watch where you'd think that'd be easy. Like, Oh, you just hit three home runs and three at bats and almost four. Oh my gosh. How cool. Like, Oh, life is easy for you, but actually life got a lot like more challenging for her. Like she didn't expect to do that. Maddie Husky went off for the first two weekends and she kind of had this like thing, well, I need to keep doing that. Like, how do I keep doing that? And then they kind of lost their way. And then, you know, we've kind of slowly been able to help them just know how, like know who they are, know what they're trying to do and, you know, kind of keep the noise out there, you know, for the popularity of the program and, and that's fine, but like, you're just trying to be the best version of yourself and let all that drama stay outside of your process. Sure. Yeah. 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 That, that makes total sense, especially if, if you're used to kind of just keeping your head down and maybe not being a star that getting thrust into that position, then all of a sudden there's this internal pressure or external, which creates internal pressure that like, Oh, I've never had to deal with this before. Um, mm -hmm. Although I like that you mentioned Morgan Flores because she was obviously everyone was talking about Sis Bates leaving, but Morgan, she was kind of one of the people where I'm like, I mean, Gabby, as far as I know, had primarily only pitched to her. Right. And 
yeah, I. Yeah. Well, the irony of all yeah. of it is Morgan graduating, you know, she, Morgan Flores, because of the pandemic she, and she tore her ACL in 2018, she was with our program for six years. So that's a big, that's a big span of time to get used to having someone around. But Gabby's first year playing with us, she, we all thought Morgan was, you know, going to be the primary catcher. Well, Morgan tears her ACL June 8th or January 18th two weeks before we start season and Gabby ends up throwing a freshman from Linwood, Washington, Emma Helm all year. So Gabby's definitely gotten used to probably throwing to Morgan, but then again, it's kind of more Gabby's, you know, Gabby's, Gabby's a unique individual. That gal <laughs> is trying to make the, you know, Australian Olympic team all last year through our season and put so much, you know, probably pressure on herself and, went right to Japan for 60 days and, you know, had to try to find a way to make that Olympic team. And they finally, you know, she made the team and she really didn't take any time off. And yeah, so I think Gabby's pretty adjustable and everything. I mean, we clearly miss Morgan Flores, like who wouldn't want that? But, you know, we had, you know, big graduations and that whole vibe of that infield. So that can really impact like, you know, who's Gabby looking at? between pitches who's she connecting with you know and we've kind of mixed around the infield a lot in our pre-conference time and so once you know something's got a little bit more consistent I think you know Gabby Gabby got a little bit became back to a little bit more herself that that makes sense I mean just having that confidence to be able to just like kind of you know grip it and rip it like is is such a big deal also I for what it's worth like I have this burned into my brain from the Michigan game last year of that that change up that I don't remember which Michigan pitcher it was, but that she led just like just a little bit too inside. And I just, there's something, I think the sexiest thing in baseball or softball is a really good change up. And then the second sexiest thing is a batter that's able to wait on it. And just, cause they just go flying when they do. Um, um, also, I love, I love your cat on this so much. Like, I wish that this was a televisual presentation for our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> um, but I, I really, I don't have, I, I only really have one or I guess two kind of more thoughts questions. And the, and the first one is kind of related to all that uh, offensive performance kind of stuff. Um, so I feel like say 15 years ago, in my memory anyway, is that the batting and, and not just for UW, but just in general, like the paradigm seemed to be like, there's power hitters. And then if you're not that, but you're fast. All right. You're going to be left-handed now. <laughs> and you're going to like a lot more of like, it was a lot more distinguished of like mm-hmm. a kind of this binary of you're either that, or you're, we're, you're going to be a slapper. Um, and I feel like one thing that has been fun to watch if I am correct and how I have looked at this is seeing people who maybe in, if they were 15 years older, um, would have been put into that position. Like, I mean, Sammy Reynolds to me is kind of a perfect example because she's really fast and she's, it, I assume naturally left-handed. Um, so you'd think, all right, just whatever. And, and she, granted, she does kind of play that small ball and then all of a sudden, but, but not exclusively, because then you'll be like, oh, okay, she just went yard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, and I feel like um, you also see that kind of, again, with like Maddie Husky and, and Jalen Alchin, who, you you wouldn't look at them and think like oh that's a power hitter um do you, do you think there are that the batters now are more versatile um yeah they are and i think um yeah they're not so coined you know like oh you're a this and oh mm-hmm. you're a that you know like or oh you're you 
you're right-handed, but you're skinny and you're not a good power hitter. So like you're saying, you should be left-handed. So there's a little bit more of individuality in, in how the players are playing, but I would, I would liken it to golf. Like I would imagine, I haven't been to a lot, but I kind of can imagine this, like you're at a, you know, major golf event and you're looking at these golfers and you're like, there's all shapes, sizes, body types. And some of the guys that can actually hit it the farthest aren't the big, you know, big dudes. Like they're the guys that can like let their like body parts, like add up in the right way. Like a Sammy Reynolds, like she's probably one of the most like pound for pound tightest, strongest, best moving athletes that I've ever had, you know, come into a team that we've ever had. So it's pretty cool to see that like she wasn't limited to being like, oh, you're a slapper. Actually, she's kind of like learned the skill a little bit. She had a, you know, two strike slap it up the middle today to kind of get a little mini rally going for our team. But yeah, they're not like so pushed into little like buckets. So you should be this. They, the expectation is that everybody can hit for a little bit of power, um, a little bit of average. And if you're not hitting, you know, for power, you better be hitting for average. If you're not hitting for average, you better be hitting for power. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I mean, a, I, I feel validated with you talking about it like that. Cause I'm like, all right, I'm not, I'm not blind or crazy. I mean, I am blind. Um, my vision's so bad. It can't be measured, but, um, but I, I also love that because I've always been like a long limbed stick. And I remember there was like one time when I was 13 that my coaches were like, Hey, you should try slapping. And they tried it once. And I'm like, well, I'm aggressively right-handed. I'm also really slow. <laughs> and, and so seeing people that are like, would also be put into that position, um, except for being much better at it, uh, at, much better at both of those uh, than I ever was. I'm like, yeah, go, go little people. <laughs> um, um, plus there's just something satisfying about seeing athletes and softball and baseball and like maybe hockey and golf are like the best examples of this, just being able to generate like crazy amounts of leverage and torque. And it's like, man, biomechanics is fun. <laughs> um, uh, otherwise though, I have just one last question. And it, I, so when I was a kid and in my mind, when you're a kid, like anyone who's 20 or older is like a, a grandma. And then it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I was like, oh, wow, Coach Char isn't like that. She's not that old. Then I'm like, wait a minute, how old was she? And I'm like doing the math and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> like I, I just realized very recently that I'm like, you were pretty much a baby when you took over this program. Like you were a couple, a year or two older than I am now. And I still don't feel qualified to like do anything <laughs> in like in the world. I'm like, I'm still a child. At the time, um, like, obviously it was the right call, but at the, at the time, was there, like, was there a part of you that was like, felt like, oh no, I don't know if I'm like, if I'm old enough or ready for this or whatever, or were you kind of not even thinking about it and just going for it? No, it's, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, I was able to get into coaching right after I played. So I had a lot of experience from the time I was graduated at 23 years old till, you know, the time I got the opportunity to even like think I could do this at 29. Um, I didn't have any head coaching experience, which looking back on that, I don't know if I would recommend that to anybody, but um, sometimes like you just got to go for it. And, you know, there's never a like a perfect time. Oh, well, you have to do this first. And then this first, like self-belief is a damn powerful thing. So 
I was lucky enough to have the self-belief that I should be the next coach of the University of Washington softball <laughs> program. I like believe that wholeheartedly. Now looking back on it, if I would have actually seen in the crystal ball what was going to happen, I would have been like, oh, hell no, you're not freaking prepared for any of that. Um, but through trial and error and like people that are surrounding me at the times um, and continue to surround me, I've been able to just kind of maintain and learn and fail in front of people and be okay with it. And then, um, you know, I think as a younger female coach, I think sometimes what might have happened looking back on it is, you know, sometimes you get the, the dads of the young <laughs> ladies who try to come in and get into your office and try to like kind of recommend ish and tell you what you should be doing. So I endured some of those moments um, well, and I had the right support at the right time. And some people got, uh, you know, told <laughs> thank you. And thank you for the suggestions and the door closed right behind them. And we just carried on our way and all good things happened out of it. But it's a, it's a difficult climate in today's day and age, like with the optics and, you know, the potential for something to just get thrown out and, you know, in social media world and this like destroy and ruin you. So try not to have fears of that, but, you know, during the time it was a pretty safe space to be where I was. And I'm just really fortunate that I got to take over a program that was, you know, so successful and the foundation was so, so strong that, um, you know, I could kind of just take it in my youth and grow with it. I, I do love that. I just the mental image of you being like, all right, bye. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't usually say, I think I speak for any, you know, fill in the blank, but I do think I speak for the state, uh, and this, let's say Washington and BC and, you know, while we're at it, team Canada, because they half of their or a third of their lineup was <laughs> your people. Um, thank you for taking that job. Um, and, uh, I, I certainly see like what you're saying about surrounding yourself with good people or, and, and, you know, people who helped you, um, professionally too. Cause again, I was like a child, so I didn't know what was going on, but like, I do remember very clearly, like that, you know, your support staff and, uh, uh, being in, in my, you know, professionally, uh, insightful 12 year old brain being very good at what they did. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, coach God taught me how to like throw a change up and <laughs> granted it went from 30 miles an hour to like 23. Um, but, but I have those memories of like that assistant coaching pool and, and like beach and all that being like a good crew. And I, so I can imagine that, that having that kind of unit to, to start off your career probably was, was a good, helpful thing. Andrew, do you have any Oh, I think I'm very grateful both for, as you said, kind of bringing, not only bringing the program along, but bringing it uh, to where we are right now. Also for dedicating some time to us tonight. I, yeah. I hope that people uh, <laughs> listen to this and, and get even more excited about the program and about the the run. I, I You talked earlier about uh, kind of the Washington footprint. And I, I have a long history of cheering for very unsuccessful teams <laughs> in all sports. I think I'm kind of drawn to them. Uh, and so over the last several years of getting more and more interested in following Husky softball, it's been kind of uh, an awakening. It's like going into a season, actually expecting the team to be competitive. And like, you mean there's a chance to actually win not only the conference, but like maybe even a national title. I, I haven't 
contextualized how, how to think about the, these things about cheering for a good team yet. So thank you for that as well. Uh, before we go, we always do like to wrap up with uh, plugs or uh, recommendations that, that we all have. Gaby, do you have anything uh, that you want to plug or recommend? As we um, well, I've been really lazy about, uh, not lazy, I've been exhausted and COVID has been weird uh, with live um, entertainment. So I, I've been really bad about uh, stand-up shenanigans. I have a show in Bellingham on the 11th. I, I've never been on this one in particular. I don't know if it will be any good. I know that uh, the headliner is Bernice Yee and she's uh, great. And I know Andrea Entz is on it and she's great. And I'm not doing like a lot. Of, I'm doing like 10 minutes. It's not a big thing. But if you're in Bellingham and you're bored, I'll post a thing on Twitter about it. Um, and and the, as far as things to like read or watch or, or whatever, um, I did about two years ago, I started reading Emma by Jane Austen. And then I got a couple, like a hundred pages into it. And then I got distracted. And then I recently started reading it again. And um, uh, for as much of a, of a tomboy as I was later, or like as a kid, uh, Jane Austen is a, not, it's not like the romance novel thing that makes her great. It's the fact that she's yeah, first and foremost, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is a comedian. And Emma is, uh, if I'm sure our demographic who listens to this isn't many people who also love the movie Clueless but Clueless is based off of Emma and like I'm just reading every time I read this book I'm like all right this character is Paul Rudd and this character is Brittany Murphy and whatever and I'm like man talk about fantastic uh fantastic author fantastic movie I think everyone I, I think more men need to appreciate Clueless because it's freaking art <laughs> it's <laughs> amazing uh, so I didn't think that would be my um, crusade today, but it is. So deal with it, world. Coach Tar, anything you want to recommend? I I got the uh, the uh, lecture that you you mentioned earlier. I found the YouTube clip of it and sent it to our group. So we'll post it along with uh, the the podcast if people want to go watch that. I will watch that later. Uh, anything else? Uh, maybe something um, less serious, or maybe something more serious. I don't know. Oh man, I have I have two cool things. So. Um, well, I guess it's kind of cool. I don't really watch like TV. I'm not like a big TV person, but I've recently started watching Ozark. So I'm pretty excited about, I'm only on season three. So I'm pretty excited about finishing season three and getting into like the end. Um, that's been cool. And I've been like, when the mask mandate came off, I was in Wenatchee, Washington for, I think it was, I don't know. It was like a couple, few weeks ago and literally every human in Wenatchee, I was like, oh, that they look like they're from the, the that show Ozark. <laughs> like, I don't know what was going on. It was just people's masks like coming off, like people look normal, but I was at the Fred Meyer in East Wenatchee and I was like, everybody in my head was from the Ozark um, <laughs> show, weird. But um, so I kind of like, like being able to watch some TV instead of just watch softball games and scout them. Um, and then I just bought this product. It's called a Remarkable. I'm not sure if you guys um, have ever heard of see or seen of a Remarkable, but it's like a tablet that is electronic, kind of like a um, one of those old like Palm Pilots. So it doesn't really like have a lot of functions like an iPad, but it's super cool. Like you can write on it and keep notes on it. And I like it as a journal. So 
I'm a journal like handwriter person. Um, I'm not like a typer of notes. So this has been pretty helpful to me in the last couple, couple of weeks since I've had it. I might actually check that out because I also am like a, I have to write things out, but I, my, my ADHD ass brain is always just like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so having a centralized would be really good. <laughs> I have a, a notepad permanently next to my desk, but how would I ever go back and find things that I wrote down and forgot about immediately six months ago if I erase it? <laughs> Uh, this is going to be a problem. I'm going to quickly recommend a book I read recently called Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. I think I've recommended things she's written before. Uh, yeah, this is, I remember. yeah, I, I, and one of her books was uh, called Station Eleven was recently turned into an HBO series. This was kind of lightly a sequel to another one called uh, The Glass Hotel. Uh, and interestingly, pretty much everything she writes is somehow rooted in uh, like Vancouver Island in British Columbia, which is kind of a fun uh, twist. This is like a story that's set in three different or four different timelines. And all these people are kind of converging on the same weird uh, thing happening in Vancouver. And uh, I'm not going to spoil it a whole lot, but it's it kind of pulls all these different uh, realities together. Way more sci-fi than I would normally read, but I, I very much enjoyed it. Pretty short book and super entertaining. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it. Anything else you want to add, Gaby? Um, just that Emily St. John Mandel is from, actually, she might be from Langley, uh, which is home of uh, Danielle Laurie. Um, I, she's from somewhere in like either the islands or uh, whatever. And that's why she always men, um, does that, which I, I have a saw. I read Station Eleven, but none of the others, but I should because um, uh, this is the longest I've gone without living in British Columbia or going to British Columbia since I was like five <laughs> after four years of living there that I'm like, ah, I need, I need BC content. So um, yeah, she's, she's from Gabby, you got to go to um, the Canada cup, June 20th through the 26th team USA will be there with um, team Canada. There we go. It's an international women's uh, softball event that I, I is oh, in God. white rock. I Surrey, think I like saw, yeah, that I, I forgot about it, but now that you mentioned it, um, yes. <laughs> um, uh, oh shoot. I had a thought and then it left my brain. Well, I should go. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I think that officially means we've run out of things to talk about. Thanks again, coach tar. Thanks Gaby. And thanks everybody for listening. Go dogs. Go dogs.